MTV struck gold with the simple-minded stunt show Jackass in the fall of 2000. The show was the brainchild of Jeff Tremaine, former editor for skateboard magazine Big Brother, who collaborated with emerging professional skateboarder Bam Margera and his Philadelphia-bred cast of misfits known as CKY. The show was a rating success and a triumph of the male 12-34 demographic, to a point that once the series concluded in 2002, MTV scrambled to create more skateboarding-inspired, debauchery-filled content. 2003 saw the launch of Viva La Bam, which continued to showcase Margera's brand of juvenile tendencies while giving skateboarding a large cable platform. This ran concurrently with the rapid mainstream spread of action sports, thanks to ESPN's X Games, which had grown from a programming gimmick in 1995 to a full-fledged juggernaut a decade later. X Games introduced action sports to a clean-cut, more conservative universe. Skateboarding began to grow outside of their own brands and into the marketing laboratories of Gatorade, McDonald's, and Nike. Skateboarding, more than ever before, became fragmented between people that wanted to see the sport grow and expand and those that wanted to remain true to the streets. Despite the chaos that brewed on the screens of Jackass and Viva La Bam and what was alluded to on the X Games, they were still regulated to broadcast censorship. Bubbling beneath the surface of what America had fallen in love with was an unfiltered, unapologetic attempt at full-fledged chaos, which finally boiled over in 2005 with the release of Baker Skateboards, Baker 3. The video was everything that the evolving industry was trying to hide. Baker was full of party animals, run-ins with police, and pushing the limits of the sport outside of regulated competition. No part embodied that spirit more than that of Brian Hermans, the then 19-year-old who closed out the video skating to the soundtrack of a long-forgotten and commercially unsuccessful David Bowie record. Bowie's The Width of a Circle, the opener on his 1970 release The Man Who Sold the World, accompanies Herman as he shreds on a journey to independent success. It's Bowie's words and instrumentation that take Herman skating over the top, not only solidifying Baker 3 as an all-time epic in the skate video pantheon, but it makes The Man Who Sold the World an art school album. My guest today was on the podcast a mere two months ago, although I was telling him just a second ago, it does feel like it was at the very least six months ago, maybe a year, but that's okay. Uh, Tom Higgins of the band Same is back on the podcast. Tom, how are we doing? I'm doing just fine, Case. Thank you very much. I'm thrilled you're back. We talked to you two months ago about your new album, Plastic Westerns, which we had the band on. We broke down the album track by track. But like I said, it's been two months since the album's been out there. With the little bit of hindsight you have, how are you feeling about it? Um, I'm feeling pretty good. It's kind of... Uh... It's it's a really weird time to release music. <laughs> I mean, I I know that we're not the only people uh, who have uh, run into this problem, or we're not the only people who are dealing with it. But it it feels very strange to. It's like we put our album out, and then it's like no touring, no shows, like nothing. <laughs> nothing. That's what I was gonna yeah. ask. Was like, is it weird just like not being like just sitting on this project, and you can't tour it, like? With the way I'm assuming your social media feed is similar to mine, where it's like, it's cool if you plug your own stuff, but there's also a bit of a greater message we're trying to accomplish here. Yeah, it's that's that's the other thing also is that 
uh, we don't want to all the time be like, listen, listen to this album. <laughs> like, like this is the cool thing that's happening right now. Um, so it's it's kind of strange. I don't want to. I don't necessarily want to complain about it, but it's not it's not the best. It, it doesn't feel that good. Like we worked on the album for like four. We worked on it for like four years, and now it's just like okay, it's out. And you got to deal it. with it. Like it's yeah. just it's just there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like the album. I'm glad it's out. I, I encourage people, if they haven't heard it, to go and check it out. Same Plastic Westerns. But, Tom, you are back on the podcast, first of all, because you were such a delightful guest the first time, but also yeah. when we recorded the last time, I noticed behind you you had an America Shoes flag, and I was like, that is – you just don't see that all the time. America is a skateboard shoe brand that I am a big fan of. And then Tom and I started following each other on social media. And I was like, oh my God, we follow uh, the same skateboarders, some of the same bands. I believe we both follow Alan Iverson. I was like, Tom, you need to come back on the podcast (laughs) so we can specifically talk about music, I guess, through the lens of skateboarding. Which, uh, going back, you know, this week, I asked you on the podcast, I said, you know, give me an album that I think directly pertains to skateboarding in some way, shape, or form, and that I went back myself and watched a ton of video parts this week. Like, some of my favorites, just to kind of jog my memory and put me in this mindset, and it stunned me just how many bands I've discovered through skateboarding, and I'm wondering if that is a similar thing for you. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> it, I kind of did the same thing that you just described. Where once once you asked me that question, I started going back and thinking of kind of my favorite videos or my like my favorite music when I first started skating. And every like skateboarding led me to discover so much music, not just through the videos, but also just kind of like the people that I was around. You know, like like by skateboarding and like being at the skate park with those people. That's directly how I got into like playing music and like getting involved in the local music scene is like just by running around with those same people. So yeah, it's really cool. It's really crazy to think about the huge impact that it had on my life without even really realizing it. Do you have like bands in mind? I mean, obviously there's a full album that we're going to talk about that is, is directly through the lens of skateboarding, but are there particular bands? Like I was going back this week and I didn't, it dawned on me this week that like I discovered the killers through Daywon Song's part in Almost Round 3, which was one that like the killers have just been in my life for so long now. And then I went back and, and watched his part in that video, which by the way, made me weirdly like emotional. <laughs> I'm not going to say I shed a tear because I did it, but it was sort of like building up of it's Daywon who's just the homie. And then it's this great killer song because the first half of Hot Fuss is so good. And then it's these scenic shots of Los Angeles and he's doing the truck gap with the sunset in the background it's like this is a beautiful piece of art like this goes above it really and beyond is. skateboarding <laughs> yeah yeah so the killers were one for me that i just completely like i was like oh my god that you're right i that is a band that comes directly from skateboarding for me yeah i was talking to one of my friends earlier today and i told him that i was doing this podcast tonight and i was telling him about like the skating and music thing and he said the same thing he was like he was like dude you gotta talk about like the killers that they want song. <laughs> um but yeah for me i actually wrote some down here like like in general like rap was really huge like skate videos got me into rap like pretty directly i know that like if you look at like a video like yeah right by girl i bet the soundtrack on that is like 
massive. There's a lot of songs on it, but there's a lot of really good rap too from that early 2000s area. I think like, I think like Nas is in that video, like Public Enemy is in that video. Yeah, Public Enemy know, for sure. Yeah, I know a lot of those old videos have like like Most Def and some of the other. It's just like really good stuff, and I was being exposed to that at a really young age. So that was kind of like my avenue to get into rap, and also kind of like like I also was thinking about like CKY and that whole thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, that like, is like, like that, that's a <laughs> that that's a huge part of American culture, which is crazy is, to say. Yeah. Like Bam Margera and his <laughs> idiot friends have uh, maybe unfortunately now that we have like 15 years <laughs> of hindsight from Viva La Bam, like a huge factor in American culture. And were you like, was it just the CKY stuff, or did you veer off into Bam's like Norwegian black metal? Oh bands yeah, that I got in, I got into I got into all that stuff too, and like <laughs> some some of my friends got more into that stuff than I did. Um, but yeah, it's like, I feel like another part of it also is like, I grew up in Pennsylvania and like me and all my friends are just like, yes, like Bam is from Pennsylvania too. Like all these guys are from Pennsylvania. <laughs> like, like this is the coolest thing ever. That could be us. We could be falling out of trees. Yes. Yeah. And then there's also like, there's just, there's like so much, like I already, I already was pretty into like before I got into skating, I was pretty into like metal and punk and stuff. I already was like familiar with Black Sabbath, but like I remember seeing like in some of those early America videos, they have like some of Black Sabbath songs and a bunch of other videos too. And it just made like I already liked it, but it made me a lot more hyped about it because That's... it kind of gave it that like validation of just like yes, like it's cool. Like these guys said it's cool. <laughs> That's interesting that you say that because. All of the bands that I was going back and like plucking from like, oh, this was in this video part. That's how I discovered them. And then through them, I discovered another band. I was expecting it to be, I guess, more in that vein, because I do have that hip hop thing as well, because and specifically, I guess I'll ask you this real quick, like. Did skateboarding video games play a role in your life at all? Because I know like for me. I grew up in an era where like EA skate was a little bit more my time than Tony Hawk's pro skater. And like in the EA skate games, you had Gangstar and you had agent orange. Um, and like lounge act was in the first game. But then there were some like rage against the machine songs in the second game. So I know like it, even just the culture as a whole, like video games played a big part uh, for me discovering music. Was it the same for you at all? Uh, yeah, pr probably not as much as like you or other people I know, but definitely, definitely, yeah, I played most of the Tony Hawk games when I was growing up and those definitely had a big part. I specifically remember like, uh, like I think it was the first Tony Hawk's Underground <laughs> had a song by Lamb of God in it. <laughs> and that's like, that's how I discovered that band. And like, I was, I was pretty into them <laughs> when I was in middle school. Like, <laughs> I, I, was like, I was expecting more like metal and punk bands to pop up when I was doing this. But for me, what I realized was I got into a ton of new wave and new wave adjacent bands through skateboarding. Cause like one of my favorite skaters has always been Corey Duffel and Duffel's got a part where he skates to Susie and the Banshees. Um, and he's got a part where he skates to house of love. And then like, I'm a giant Smiths and Morrissey fan. I'm very apologetic about it. I can't help it. <laughs> We're just too far along in the process for yeah. any of it to be reversed. <laughs> but I realized I, I was already into the Smiths when I first saw the part 
but the first solo Morrissey song I heard was in the Alien Workshop video Minefield, where Heath Kirchhart skates to Speedway, which is such an epic, like, big climactic song, and it makes sense that it's Heath skating it because everything he does is just heavy, and he's yeah. just, it's like everything could be an ender, and it's just ridiculous, but yeah. that was a big thing for me of like, oh, what's this? Oh, it's that guy from that other band that I just discovered that I really, really liked, and Heath Kirchhart seems to be into it. Something must be good here. And then uh, time has maybe differed a little bit in terms of how friendly we are about Morrissey. <laughs> but in the beginning, it was like, no, this is super cool. Yeah, and that actually, I I wrote down like a list of like artists and songs here <laughs> on Nexus Skaters and like Heath Kirchhart and, this, and Morrissey is it one that I wrote down. And um, uh, Kevin Long skates to a Morrissey song in the, the Stay Gold video for America too. He skates to one um, in Baker 3, which we'll talk about in just a yeah, second right, as well. Yeah, yeah, yes, which yeah. that one, we'll save that because I can tie this full circle into Kevin Long into David Bowie. So just you wait for that. Uh, yeah, was, <laughs> yeah, and there's also like uh, like The Cure is in a decent amount of videos too. I just um, saw an I, Enjoy like, video Ryan where they Sheck, used The yeah. Cure and I was yeah, into Sheckler that. The, Ryan Sheckler skated to The Cure in um, like almost round three. And That's I thought that was right, cool. he did. So there's like... Yeah, so there's a lot of there are a ton of artists and songs that are discovered through skating. But when you asked me for an album, I had to dig a little bit deeper and be like, okay, like what's like a whole album that's associated with skating? But I I did find one. Yeah, so David Bowie's "The Man Who Sold the World" is the one that you came up with. You told me you have a distinct memory of was it downloading Baker Three or downloading the album off of LimeWire? Downloading the album. I remember, like, I had, like, Baker 3 was one of the first skate videos that I had on, on DVD when I was younger, and I watched it. There was a summer, and, like, uh, maybe it was, like, during, like, eighth, seventh or eighth grade where I watched that video every day, like, <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes multiple parts per day, and I would, like, rewind, like, my favorite parts and watch them all. So I got, like, super familiar with the music. Um, that seems like a skate video is that like this generation I'll lump you into into mine here as well where it's like that is our video days that that seems to be the consensus that like even people I know that aren't super into skating for whatever reason they know Baker specifically and they know Baker 3 as like the holy shit video yeah it was huge and i mean even like my, like i said when i was younger like i had friends who didn't really skate and like my older cousins who like didn't skate they like they knew what it was yeah and I, I think maybe part of it kind of was because of that whole like jackass and cky thing well um, that, like, that video came out in 2005 so at that point yeah. we're looking at i think robin big is on tv at that point right Viva exactly. bam is a thing x games is you know if not on espn on abc at times it's getting you know literal mainstream coverage and then the baker boys come along and kind of say fuck that and like i was really young when I got into skateboarding like I feel like it was something where at like age seven or eight I was like no this is really cool and then for a few years it was my thing and then fell off and then came back on a little bit and you know I'm kind of where I'm at now where like I don't have a deck anywhere near me but it's something (laughs) I'm constantly monitoring and paying attention to because I care about the scene and I was like as a kid I remember reading Thrasher and Transworld 
and almost being scared of the Baker guys because <laughs> like I was just talking with someone recently, like my footprint of debauchery on this earth is very small. I have lived a pretty boring life. I'm comfortable with it. I'm a pretty happy guy. It's just been a very boring life and being like an eight year old kid that was riddled with social anxiety even then, seeing Dustin Dollar like throwing up in a Baker ad, I was like, these dudes scare the shit out of me. I don't want any of this. This is terrifying. Yeah, it it was bad. And I wasn't I wasn't necessarily like a like a destructive or like bad kid. But I hung out with people that were. <laughs> um and like I like all of it we were all into like Baker and America and that's it. And like <laughs> Like, I don't know, like we, like the older kids at the skate park who were like probably in high school when that video came out, like, like the kids who were super into Baker in America were bad. <laughs> like, yeah, no, that makes like, total like, sense. Like lighting stuff on fire, like, like doing like drugs and stuff. <laughs> Just like, it was, it was a terrible influence if you if you watched baker 3 and you're of an impressionable age there's kind of two paths you could go down where you could be like me and it scares me and then i find a company like toy machine where i'm like well they just kind of seem like dorks that like art i'm more into this or you could be like yeah. andrew riddle and this is pre-sober andrew riddle's like andrew riddle's yes. is the coolest and it's like that was not me at all yeah and i was kind of like uh sort of in the middle where I, I wouldn't say I was afraid. I didn't want to participate, but I wanted to, like, be there. <laughs> be an watch. onlooker, an, an active <laughs> yeah. bystander, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, so being the lookout. <laughs> that's exactly it. Every good group <laughs> needs a lookout. There's a great sort of write-up in Jankum Magazine. Uh, it's an article called How Baker 3 Banged Us Over the Head, in which the article says, it, it kind of summarizes the video, and then at the very end it says, fast forward to the end, Brian Herman's closing part is set to David Bowie's The Width of a Circle. It's the capstone to a video that has pulled us in so many different directions. The song is a dark, psychedelic tale of a man lost in the underworld, dancing with the devil, and by the end of the video, as viewers, we are in the same position. We have been carried through the world. Baker has built over the last hour but as the final resolving note hits there seems to be no question that we have reached the end so i'm gonna picture you in seventh or eighth grade you're watching baker three every single day which is a thing that is lost on kids these days not to like shake my fist angrily but because there's so much content out there now nobody re-watches anything and i distinctly have things from my childhood that i just watched thousands of times and was comfortable with it yeah and there was like like youtube existed but it wasn't what it is now like there like now there's just entire skate videos and like it's what youtube is for me yeah Yeah, it's just that's what my youtube is yeah but back then like the like the only way I could watch a skate video was to like have the DVD and like that was the DVD I had. (laughs) So, so that was the skate video I watched. So you see Herman's part at the end, which is it's long, it's full of bangers. It's yeah, it's epic. It it really is on on a video that has, you know, Andrew Reynolds and Dolan and Andrew and uh, Antoine Dixon and Terry Kennedy and Spanky Log. Like it's just full of hammers. I went, I went back and rewatched all of Baker three this week and I, there's part of it just like the aesthetic of that time period of skateboarding that I really like. But by the end of it, I was like, oh, my God, I'm exhausted watching this because everybody went out there and killed themselves. It's an incredible video. It's Yeah, it's amazing. And the other thing that was really appealing to me, specifically about Brian Herman, is he was really, really young 
when really he filmed young. that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like, like I only a found child. this out. I found this out recently that when I was like consuming and enjoying this stuff, he was only a couple of years older than me. <laughs> and that's like that's, that's another that's another funny thing about that video is like Antoine Dixon, who by all accounts seems like a pretty good dude, but did spend time in prison and like Reynolds when he was still really messed up and Dustin Dollard, who's still really messed up. And then it's like Spanky and Herman in that video who are literal children just yeah. hanging out with the Baker crew. They're and I, like I can't imagine, I, I don't have children, obviously. I can't imagine letting my child anywhere near the Baker team at that point. It seems like a terrifying proposition. Yeah. But <laughs> so, yeah, so... So I was watching the video every day and I was, I remember this, like there was a summer, I was like really into like his part. Like I really, <laughs> I really liked it. So I'd like skip to that part. And it wasn't, it's not like immediately I was like, oh, like I love this song, but it's just cause I was like, I was hearing it so much like in my mind, like I would be like this part of the song is when he does like this trick. Like I like knew all that stuff. You know, I was, I got very familiar with it um, and it just became I don't, it just became very like formative to me and important. So I also was pretty into like, this is around the time when like, I just got into like downloading music on LimeWire and stuff. So I remember like going to the credits of video, I was like, I mean, I'm gonna download some of these songs so I can like skate to like the Baker three songs when I'm skating. That would be cool. <laughs> like, <laughs> that sounds super cool but, now. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, but I think like for that one, I, I don't remember exactly how it happened, but I kind of was like searching for it online and I found like the whole album and I was like, Oh cool. Like whatever. <laughs> like, and then, um, I just had that. I had it like, I, I remember having it like burned on a CD. It said like David Bowie, man who sold the world. <laughs> and that's like, that's how I got into it. <laughs> and off you went. So David Bowie's the man yeah. who sold the world. It came out November 4th, 1970. It is an album with no singles on it. It didn't really gain notoriety until Nirvana's Unplugged, which we'll talk about as we break down the album. It is also the first Bowie album that has guitarist Mick Ronson on it. And to come full circle, like I said I would earlier, uh, Mick Ronson plays guitar on this album. He also produces Morrissey's Your Arsenal album. Your Arsenal has glamorous glue on it. Glamorous glue is what Kevin Spanky Long skated to in Baker 3. There is a web that you can visualize right there. So... That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, I, I realized that today. I was like, oh my God, I've, I can do this. I've got like statistics, basically. Yeah, I was so I excited. Is that guy still alive? No, he passed away oh. shortly after Your Arsenal was recorded. I believe, oh, wow. I believe it was the last album he produced, which it came out in 92. I could be wrong, but I think it's the last album he did. I always wonder this, like, I wonder how many of these artists, like, number one know that their music is in these videos but number two like think that it's awesome they're just like this is so cool <laughs> there's nothing i want more than to sit down with morrissey particularly and watch baker three because i know he's at least aware that skateboarding exists because i there's a video of him on youtube where he's drinking tea with a british comedian and most of the video is like extremely tea driven humor which i didn't understand but they seem to be having a good time so i guess it was funny but at one point morrissey like makes fun of beanies and the skateboarding kids that wear them so he's at least aware of the genre whether or not he's aware of baker 3 i do not know but i hope so yeah and i know i guess one one artist i can think of 
that does probably really like it is like Dinosaur Jr., which yeah. is one of the ones I was going to mention earlier. They're featured really heavily in um, like Mindfield by Alien Workshop. And I think they had around that same time, they made a music video with like pro skaters and stuff in it. Yeah, so dinosaur, I, I, dinosaur, they, put out, they put out a skate shoe with like a Dinosaur Junior Nike SB shoe around that time too. That sounds very so cool. They're they're in. Dinosaur Junior is in. I, Sonic Youth is in as well because Sonic yes. Youth had a Spike Jones directed video, and then Jerry Sue closed with a Sonic Youth song in Bag of Suck, which is my all time favorite video because you have Louis Barletta and Jerry Sue going back to back in two just ridiculous parts that is my my highest seal of approval goes to enjoy's bag of suck but i do want to steer the direction a little bit towards man who sold the world because it's a fascinating album i mean the the, the record starts with the song that brian herman skates to in baker three the width of a circle which is an eight minute opener and i've <laughs> talked on this show many times before i typically don't like songs longer than five minutes it's a weird pet peeve i just think after five minutes, we got it. I will say The Width of a Circle is a pretty enjoyable song. I, I don't know what your relationship with Bowie is like, but he's never really been one of my guys. I always feel like I'm in the six degrees of David Bowie where a lot of people that I really like mentioned Bowie as an influence, but I've never totally connected to his work. This is a song where I was like, yeah, I really I like this a lot, but I... I would never start an album with an eight-minute song. I think if this closed the album, it would be much more powerful and connect with me on a bit of a different level. It sounds like a closer. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and that's and that's what he starts with. And this, uh, yeah, this this album as a whole, I get. I, I'm pretty into David Bowie. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of his, but this album is not one of my. It's not one of my favorite Bowie albums. Um, I like some of his later stuff a lot more. Um, but this one is is. Very interesting, and I was glad to have listened to it today for the first time in a while. I was surprised when I looked it up that it came out in 1970. Like I always just had in my mind that it probably came out in like the mid-70s part of his career. I don't know why I thought that. <laughs> there is a certain element of Bowie where everything sounds ahead of its time. I mean, this yes. is the album that comes right before Hunky Dory and yeah. you know, two years before Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust, and that is stuff that I think even still hasn't really been duplicated in terms of the presentation and the sound of those albums. And again, like my patience on it kind of varies. There's a few songs on this album even where it's, yeah. it's a little too Bowie for me, but that's okay. Cause there's a lot of stuff I liked on here, but for this to come out in 1970 is uh, a testament to just uh, Bowie's creativity. It's really incredible. Yeah. And I feel kind of the same way about this album also, but I, it holds a special place for me cause it was kind of like it opened the door for me to go into David Bowie and also just to go into all kinds of different music. Um, because like I said, at the time when I was younger, I pretty much was just listening to, to like, like metal and hardcore and sometimes rap. <laughs> to Bam Margera's Norwegian black metal bands. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I didn't really necessarily care about uh, stuff like this or stuff with this sound. So this was kind of like open this whole like door for me. And like my mom was into David Bowie. So once I started listening to this, I started kind of checking out other cool music that my mom liked also it just kind of like led me on this path i gotta cool, ask now i really value <laughs> what cool music does your mom like i gotta know oh it's like it's like my mom uh she she had a couple of david bowie cds around um and she, she's a fan of like the smiths and the cure 
uh, she, she likes all that stuff a lot. <laughs> Your mom sounds cool as hell, man. Yeah. That is awesome. And yeah, and I didn't really care until I started getting more into music when I was a little bit older. But I was kind of I was exposed to all that stuff at a young age, but it took a while for me to really get it and care. <laughs> Does Bowie have any direct influence on your musical career in either the directions you've taken or the way you play? Um, I would say, yeah. Um, I think we were just talking about the album that uh, that my band just put out. When we were um, kind of writing um, and recording that album, I was listening to a lot of like David Bowie stuff that he did with Brian Eno, like those, that batch of albums, that's my favorite stuff by him. Um, and even if it's not necessarily the sound, I enjoy reading about kind of like the recording process or just reading interviews with him about his, his creative process and just the kind of person that he was like that stuff kind of influences me just as, just as much as the music. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty inspiring. How do we feel about track two, All the Mad Men? This is one that jumped out at me for just how stripped back it is. Like it's, there, there are some synthesizers that kind of creep in and out throughout the album, but for the most part, it's it's a few guitars, it's a heavy drum beat, the bass is pretty up in the mix, and then it's Bowie's vocals. It's a very simple album, and I think All the Mad Men would have worked better as an opener, and you would just slot the width of a circle down to that last track. Yeah, the... the- I think this song is pretty long also. It's five and a half <laughs> minutes, which I'll, yeah. I'll give it a pass. I think it's a fine five and a half minute song. Yeah, it's definitely good. But I was thinking about that today. I was like, he starts the album with like an eight minute song and then uh, almost six minute song. And then the rest of them are three and four minutes. Like it's just yeah. the pacing of it makes no sense. Yeah, it's really interesting. <laughs> It's good, though. I will say, I think track three, Black Country Rock, is my favorite song on the album because it it sounds like a song called Black Country Rock should. It's super simple. It's very melodic. There's a really nice guitar sound in it. And to me, this is like, this is the David Bowie that I can get into. This is a very nice sounding song. Yeah, this is one of my favorites on the album also um, because of the guitar work on this album. There are a few like really cool riffs. There's some cool um, harmonizing going on. Uh, there's some some more intricate stuff going on. And it's, and it's a little bit more accessible, I feel, than some of the other songs, especially to a 14-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is an issue with me even at 21 now. Of, there's just some Bowie stuff where I, I, I have always respected his craft and... I guess his vision, but that that has always been an issue with me is this is a guy who seems to have ideas that are so overarching and so just big and grand that maybe it's because I'm dumb, but I can't entirely comprehend them. But he's got these that that's what I liked so much about this album is it's not really that elaborate. It's it's a very simple record, and I think if you have a foundation of like, if you've heard Bowie's hits and you want to hear more, I would point to this album because it's very different than the Bowie that I knew. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, it's very different, but um, you can also kind of, you can kind of see him laying the groundwork for things that he's going to do in the future. Like how we said, it sounds ahead of its time. Um, it's pretty straightforward, but there also are kind of some, some synth sounds in there. Um, there's some pretty interesting stuff that's 
kind of like laid in the background. The sense come in track four after all, which is one that was, it was what I will call to Bowie for his own good, <laughs> where he just, he had a, a voice that was almost gothic in a way where like, it's not quite like as charming as Robert Smith. Like Bowie gets into this upper octave at times where I kind of just want to kick his ass because he sounds, <laughs> he almost sounds like he's telling a scary story. Like he's just putting on this voice that I don't, <laughs> I don't really enjoy it even if the songwriting on this record is is really strong and i think after all which is kind of driven by an acoustic guitar and then halfway through the song these synths come in and it does sound very nice but it was just it was too bowie for me yeah i definitely can see that and this is um i feel like this is a track like once you get this far in the album um I feel this way, especially if you compare it to some of his later stuff, when you like get this like halfway through, I mean, you're like, man, he's doesn't really care about like the pop sensibilities that much. <laughs> Which he's is just, fascinating. Uh, Cause I always think yeah. of Bowie as a pop star. Like yes, I know, exactly, yeah. I know let's dance and like China girl and in those songs that everybody knows that under pressure is what. And I think that's something that I need to do is dive into this, not even back catalog, but just the older I guess more experimental David Bowie because he's also an artist that I think has such a daunting catalog given that he made music for 40, 45 years. It's just yeah. impossible to choose a diving in point. Yeah. And he had a, he had a pretty consistent output like the whole time. Yeah. It's, it's, it's incredible. <laughs> it's, and then like, if you go on a Spotify, there's all these live recordings and then I'm sure there's some demos in there just scrolling down to get to the album that came out in 1970 was an exercise in itself. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is daunting. From there, we go to Running Gun Blues, which is a song about a maniacal soldier in Vietnam who seems uh, hell-bent on killing instead of finding peace. It felt apt for the modern world. It was as if Bowie had the crystal ball and said, there is still too much violence happening in the world. So I did enjoy the message of it. One of those songs just didn't do much for me. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, something that I noticed when I did a listen to that song also. I was like, yeah, these lyrics feel like a, like a little bit political you know for I, I, I was i was reading specifically about the song earlier today it was way more political than bowie was on his first two albums this is his third yeah. release and he doesn't ever really veer into anything on those first two releases but here he's he seems to be very outspoken about vietnam which it's another one of those things where i consider bowie to at least be politically adjacent. I don't know if he, if there's any albums just from what I've heard where he hits you over the head with his opinion, but I feel like he's someone that was willing to speak his mind when given the opportunity. Yeah. He never really, I feel like he never really was like direct about it. Um, if you look at if, even other artists from like that era, um, he was always a little, he kind of like weaves it into his weird art. <laughs> I will ask you this as someone that I consider because you did put out an album, which is such a magnificent uh, feat of accomplishment to me as someone that uh, will never do that. Uh, you have some sort of a public platform. Now, I will be honest, not as big of a platform as David Bowie had. I hope you've come sure. to grips with that. But, you know, <laughs> maybe one day it seems to be I, I have noticed this a lot just as I scroll through my feed 30,000 times a day. There is a generational divide in this idea of like, I'm a public figure, so 
my politics or my opinions. They don't mean anything. I don't want to divide my audience. I would just like to keep this group of my fans as fans and that is it. And then I think, and it's especially more prevalent in the punk genre and something that I've had to ask myself a lot lately are the words of Pat Flynn of have heart. Are you a part of the scene or are you a part of the scenery? But it seems like people our age generally are very comfortable being outspoken about how they feel. Do you feel like you have any sort of responsibility as someone with an air quotes platform to speak out against certain things? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've, I very much ag- agree with what you said. Um, and it's kind of like, I don't know, it's, it's not even necessarily just because I have a platform. It's just because I, <laughs> because I think it's the right thing to do. Yeah. That's kind of where <laughs> I'm at as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I do, I do kind of feel that way. I think it's, I, I think it's important to do, um, to just like spread these messages in any way you can. And in, as far as, you know, like being like being like a creative person or if we want to talk about, you know, like platform or quote unquote fans, it's kind of like, like the way I view it, I view this with like, uh, with like comedy a little bit too. It's like, if you, if you don't like like my opinions about these fundamental things, then you don't like me and my art is me. So if you don't like it, just go, go listen to something else. then. like, I don't really care. I think that's specifically the generational divide is I think because we have been thrown into this situation where what we are standing for specifically pertains to us and it is now becoming, hopefully for most people, a part of their moral fibers, whereas there is, yeah. I, I, you know, uh, someone in their 40s, someone in their 50s, if they have a detachment between the two things, as long as their detachment leads them to, I guess, the right side of history... I'm okay with that, but I, I have noticed just a shift in terms of the people I follow because I I do try to have a, a, a diverse platform, and, you know, for everything, but age specifically, I like, you know, filtering in different opinions, and it just does seem like there's a bit of a difference there, but I, I knew just given uh, the bands you're associated with that and from following you that you were outspoken on it, so I was just curious if you had uh, any sort of preference there. It is almost as if we are living in a world in which machines are taking us over, like Save Your Machine, which is what follows on the album. President Joe once had a dream The world held his hand, gave their pledge So he told them his scheme for a savior machine I am going to read you the Genius.com song description for Save Your Machine, and then I would like you to sound off on your thoughts on this, okay? Yes. All right. Genius says the song tells the story of a hypothetical scenario where mankind finds a miracle cure, in this case, the savior machine, to all its problems. This solution is in the form of what we now call AI or artificial intelligence that makes all our decisions for us. However, in Bowie's vision, the supposed utopia actually proves to be dystopian, and our savior machine, which solves all problems for humanity, realizes that in itself has become the problem. In Bowie's, and by extension, the savior machine's eyes, humanity needs adversity and problems to progress, because in a perfect world, what is there to strive for? Wow. 
<laughs> so Bowie was uh, Galaxy Brain, having Galaxy Brain takes in 1970, so really ahead of his time there. But in a perfect world, what is there to strive for? Do you have any thoughts on such a take? Um, I, <laughs> I was pretty into like these ideas, like when I was younger <laughs> and like when I was first first getting into this album. Um, I guess I would just say it. I don't disagree with. It. <laughs> it's pretty. <laughs> no, that's good enough for me. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty heady, and it's like, I don't know if fun is the right word, but it's a it's a nice exercise to to like to think about. But yeah, it is. Um, yeah, it's almost kind of getting into that like, I want to say like sci-fi realm of things. Yes, it which there's is, which yes. is almost there's like a fantasy theme throughout like this entire album, and I feel like that definitely like hits on this song. Yeah, so the album was written and rehearsed in, at Bowie's home uh, in England in a mansion converted to a block of flats that was described by one visitor as having the ambiance of Dracula's living room, which I actually really think comes through in the sound, where at times it's gothic, at times it's a little sci-fi, there is an aura of just haunting that sort of cascades yes. over this album. Yeah, is that... I don't know this for sure, but um, is that like where the album art is from also? It that, comes from his house? That is a good question. It looks like it might be. That I do not have the answer have, to. Have you have you ever seen the alternate album art for this album? So I saw it today for the first time. It <laughs> yeah. was confused, to say the least. I was very yeah, confused at what was going on there. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. I discovered it, like I went to... Um, like I found it in a record store in Philadelphia a, a couple of years ago. Um, and the guy who works there, like kind of told me the whole like story behind like the, like just how it has like alternate art. And I was like, Whoa, this is cool. And I bought it and I have it, but that it's like a cartoon, like cowboy is with like very bright colors. Um, and when you listen to the album with that context, with that album art in front of you, it kind of gives you a whole different vibe of, of almost like this weird kind of like dystopian, like wild West kind of thing. Yeah, I will have to go back and listen to it through that lens because I just have the, the 1971 Bowie sprawled out in this dress yes, album yeah. artwork. And that, to me, makes sense. Like, that is Victorian enough to, yeah. to frame it. Yeah, but the animated cowboy gives me a bit of a different perspective on this album, perhaps. Yeah. She Shook Me Cold is what follows. This is David Bowie at his horniest. Uh, there was a nice guitar solo in this song, but Bowie was really laying it on thick, and it was yeah. maybe my least favorite on the album. This uh, this always was the skipper for me. Like for, <laughs> I always for sure skipped it when I was younger. I, I skipped it when I listened today. That makes I me was, feel a little bit better. That's good. That's yeah. good to know. I, and I kind of share that sentiment with you. I was just like, damn, dude. Like, <laughs> Like you're much. David Bowie, like we got it. You're, yeah. You'll find it. You're good. <laughs> uh, what follows is the title track, which is the man who sold the world. have listened to the Nirvana version of this from their unplugged approximately a million times. And it was one that until I sat down and listened to this album to do this podcast, I didn't realize 
just how unfamiliar with the Bowie version I was. It's one that I maybe heard once or twice, but the the magic of the Nirvana version to me is it is so simple and it is so laid back and nice. And this Bowie version has a lot going on in it. Yeah, um, and that's it's a really big um, contrast. So when I when I first discovered this album, I I was pretty into Nirvana at the time, and I had the Unplugged album, and I knew that all the songs on that album were covers, but I didn't necessarily know or care that much about <laughs> about the original versions of them. And so I remember listening through this album when I was younger, and it kind of like caught me. I was like, oh, like this is that song that <laughs> like Kurt Cobain covered, <laughs> like, and it's so incredibly different yeah this version <laughs> bowie's all these got different instruments and like the organ it's th- there's so much going on bowie's got like a weird uh, metallic is the word that came to mind like a metallic <laughs> filter on his voice that just it, yeah i don't think it sounds great i don't love this first of the song but i can't tell if that's just because i love the nirvana version of it so much yeah i love this one a lot okay. like, right, i loved ahead. it i loved it when i first heard it and i and i still really like it um, and I do like the I like the Nirvana version a lot. Also, I, I really like the contrast between them. It makes me appreciate the cover for sure a lot. Like that's it's a really interesting take on the song. I do love. Probably, oh, go ahead. At the time, it probably was it, like before Nirvana did that cover. It probably wasn't one of the more well-known Bowie songs. I don't know that for sure. Well, this whole album, like I said, it had yeah, it had it, no singles on it. It was, yeah. again, that gap between his first two albums and then Hunky Dory and Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust. So it was the yeah. black sheep of the early Bowie collection. And then I, I find it so funny that Nirvana's Unplugged is looked at as kind of a, an American recording masterpiece. Like, I know people that don't like Nirvana that love the Unplugged album. I mean, it's... I got into Nirvana in fifth grade, and The Unplugged was not my entry point, but certainly what kept me around. And it's an album full of meat puppets and Vaseline's and like an unknown yeah. David Bowie song cover. It's really funny to me. <laughs> yeah, and some of that stuff I never, I never looked up the original versions until like years later. Yeah, like, like when I was in my twenties. Yeah, no, I, I. I was so into Nirvana at one point where I was like listening to the Vaseline's and Lead Belly in seventh grade, and I look back on it now, it's like, well, of course I hated those years. Like I was listening yeah. to the Vaseline's and Lead Belly. I wasn't doing myself any favors. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, even just the way the way that he like arranged and covered those songs is really amazing. It's incredible, especially when you go and listen to the originals and hear like it's different worlds. And he's able to like make this cohesive album of it. It's cool. <laughs> we close with the Superman. I love Bowie's vocals in this song. I think this song rips. I think if you even if you just flip this in the opener, I suddenly have an entirely different opinion of this album because I thought the album closes on a super super strong note. Yeah, I agree. This is this is one of my favorites on the album as well. Yeah, it's it's super simple. It's super clean. Again, I think it's positioned in the wrong part of the album because Bowie's voice to me was I complained about it earlier. You know, there are some times where, again, it just sounds like he's he's almost, you know, not I he was with Ziggy Stardust, but he's, you know, putting on a facade in a sense. And this felt like Bowie was just authentic. And like I said, I think the song rips. It's a it's a wonderful way to end an album that received an 8.5 out of 10 from Pitchfork, a 3.5 out of 5 from Rolling Stone, and a 5 out of 10 
on the Spin Alternative Record Guide. Tom, I have to ask you, now that we have broken down David Bowie's The Man Who Sold the World, which is nine songs in 41 minutes, I have to ask, if you had to give this album out of 10, what would you give it? Out of 10, I would give it... So are we doing whole numbers, or can I do uh, like go, Pitchfork style? Go Pitchfork style, my man. Uh, I give it a 6.9. It's <laughs> Nice. Give it the 6.9, yeah. It's good. Uh, it's good. The songs that I like on it, I really love a lot, and they have a very sentimental uh, value to me. Uh, but it's, it's, def- it's far from being my favorite David Bowie album. If you um, had to give your top Bowie album or albums, if people wanted to hear more, where would you direct them? Um, it's got to be actually let me. Uh, it's Young Americans. It's I could remember the cover of it, but for some reason I forgot the the name of it for a second. <laughs> yeah, Young Americans is. When did that come like, out? That's an album I'm entirely unfamiliar with. That one, that's one that I thought about like doing on this podcast because it's my favorite Bowie album, but I wanted to stay true to like the skating mm-hmm. part of it. Um, that came out in like the mid seventies. That's the one he did b- before the group of like Brian Eno Berlin albums. He did this one and he recorded it um, at a studio in Philadelphia oh. um, and had like a, lo- a lot of musicians from Philly play on the album too. Um, and he had like a really, he purposely did like a really strong, uh, he wanted to have like an American influence um, on the album. And it's, uh, yeah, it's good. It sounds amazing. Uh, the songs are amazing. The instrumentation is amazing. That, that's my favorite David Bowie album. For sure. I will have it's to check that out. It is insanely different from this album. <laughs> 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 now that I think of it, it's hard to believe that it's the same artist. Which yeah, is one of, the things that like, one of the things that I like about him so much. I'm excited to listen to that because it's, it's an album that is completely off my radar. But now that I've consumed the man who sold the world, now that I've let this album wash over me, Tom, I turn the question to you. Who needs to hear this album and why? Oh, man. Who needs to hear this album and why? Well, I would say... Um, I think it was good for me to hear uh, when I was young. So I would say like, if you're, if you're a young kid who's in like eighth or ninth grade, like I was when I discovered it, um, it's good because like I said, this album was so important to me because it, it taught me how to be more open-minded about music, you know, with the long songs and kind of the experimental instrumentation and recording techniques. Um, So I would recommend it to anyone like that. Or like we said, someone who uh, is familiar with David Bowie but might not be familiar with this album or wants to hear some some different things from David Bowie, um, it, it could be really interesting. Because I bet there are a lot of people who are into Bowie uh, on a surface level who are really familiar with the hits who might have never heard this album before. Um, and it could be a good way to take a deeper dive. I'm going to put you on the spot before we get to plugs real quick. Although I guess this could be a plug in itself, but... Other than Baker 3, if you had to recommend one full-length skate video to our listeners, what video do you want them to watch? I'm going to put you on the spot. It's a tough question. I wasn't even preparing on asking it, but I feel like I have to. One Desert Island skate video. What do you want the listeners of the podcast to go check out? Oh, man. 
I will say I went back and watched so many that I hadn't seen in a long time this week. Uh, like I said, Enjoy Bag of Suck is just, it, it is so good. I think uh, all of the foundation videos from the late 2000s, early 2010s, all of those videos rip, uh, and Toy Machine's Welcome to Hell is sort of the embodiment of what I like in skateboarding. Yeah, those are so, those are so important, too. I feel I feel kind of weird doing this, but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with something a little bit more modern. From from last year, um, Su- Supreme's blessed video. I don't know if I, I ever saw this one. Yeah, you should watch that. It's it's pretty long, um, and I know like Supreme gets flack for for being what it is, but they make really legit skate videos. <laughs> um, their team is really good. They have really, really good music in the video. Um, like I said, it's it's long. It has good parts. It's it's good. It's very like east East Coast centric. Um, and I wa- I have that on DVD also. Um, and I've I've watched that like a number of times. It's one of the first like. So I quit skateboarding when I was like in my early twenties. I didn't do it when like when I was in college and after that. And then two two years ago, I started doing it again. And then this video kind of like catapulted me into being like really into skateboarding again um so like that that video kind of gave me like a like a reawakening completely well i i will yeah. go check that out you threw me a curveball there of a video that i haven't seen so so thank you yeah. for that i will run I and go do that afterwards if, if i wouldn't have if i wouldn't have said that i probably would have said uh minefield by alien workshop yeah that's, it is that's my, that's my number two after baker three when i was really getting into skateboarding at a young age like i remember all of the thrashers and trans worlds i have from when i was a kid it's all all the ads are hyping up minefield like that was just about yes. to come out and i remember being excited for that video because as a kid i was into ardo sorry and also i was and I still am quite honestly i don't care i'm still into rob dyrdek rob dyrdek has been on cable oh, tv yeah. every single day for the last 15 years and it is i it, don't admire him but i am have the utmost respect for him Oh, he's he's great. He's an amazing skateboarder. <laughs> he really is, and he's now just the dude that is on MTV twenty four seven. I I think it's a beautiful thing. Tom, we have reached the end of the podcast. Uh, where can people find you? What organization do you want to shout out? Let the people know. Um. So where can people find me? Uh, all my social medias uh, are Tom Tiggins. Just switch the first letters of my first and last name. Uh, but if I were to uh, shout out an organization uh, that I think is doing really great things right now, uh, that is also Pittsburgh centric, I would say check out One Hood Media. It's the the number one, and then Hood Media. Um, I think that's their handle on all their social medias. Um, so they're doing a, a lot of really great work right now. Um, they're they're a media company, um, but they focus on kind of social justice issues, um, and that's kind of like it's my go to place. Uh, if I want to, like, they do a lot of really cool educational videos, um, but they also push, like, you know, the protests that are happening in Pittsburgh and everything. Um, they're, they, I know they help organize some of them, and they help, kind of help get the word out. So I think they're a really great follow on social media, um, and they take donations also. So if you want to give them some money so they can keep doing what they do. Um, I know that's, like, uh, our band recently donated some money, and they're one of the groups that we donated to. Because um, I think they're doing they're doing a really great thing for the Pittsburgh area. It just kind of in terms of being like having one place where you can go and look and say like this is what's happening, um, and it's also it seems to be a good educational resource too. It seems like they're doing good work. 
I will be sure to check them out. They sound like they're doing great things for me. Uh, specifically this week for the Chicago area, uh, take a look at and donate if you can to Lakeview Pantry, uh, the Lakeview Food Pantry that offers food, mental health, and other social services to the uh, Chicago community. You can find them at lakeviewpantry.org. I just earlier this week watched a PBS documentary on the current state of Chicago and the, I, I guess, the segregation that still is in the city and specifically sort of the lack of crisis management that is offered to the South side and the food deserts that are in place there. And as we approach a school year where students may or may not be in school, uh, it is really important that we are feeding people that need food and the Lakeview food pantry seems to do a tremendous job. So please donate to them either financially or with food if you can. And then as always, if you want to get in contact with me, I am on both Twitter and Instagram at under, er, yeah, at, well, I, I know my Twitter, I promise. It is at <laughs> underscore caselow, C-A-S-E-L-W-E. And you can follow the podcast itself at Art School Albums on Instagram. This has been David Bowie's The Man Who Sold the World.